<laughs> so all that talk about being all nice and warmed up. I'm just like, wait, oh, I'm not ready. Which one's my camera? That one? Uh, Do I make you nervous? <laughs> Get it together, bud. <laughs> all right. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Bottom of the Bill. We have Sailor Jane on with us today. Thank you so much for being here. Welcome. Really appreciate it. Making the drive. You said you're like down in Palm Coast. Close That's to an easy way of saying Crescent Beach. Crescent Beach, okay. Almost. Where's that, like in between Palm Coast and St. Augustine? It's still considered St. Augustine, but it's south of St. Augustine, so just before like Marine Land, Palm Coast. Okay. Area. You like it out there? I love it. Is it like, like small town kind of thing, or is it like... Yeah, there's not very many... Um, People that live down there, other you know, it's mostly like second homeowners and snowbirds that come down, so it's like really quiet most of the time. Nice. So I like to retreat there and stay away from traffic. Yeah, I can imagine. Get all the, the hustle and bustle of downtown St. Augustine during the holidays mm-hmm. is no joke. That shit sucks. Um, all right, so you're a singer, songwriter, talent buyer. Uh, you're a nurse. You're a single mom wearing all these crazy hats. How do you manage your time? Uh, I sleep maybe four hours a day. Yeah, I'll yeah, do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is the rest of it just flying by the seat of your mm-hmm. pants. Yeah. Um, well, uh, what's your uh, background? Like what, what, like, what do you come from? Where do you come from musically? Um, so musically, I grew up in church in Jacksonville, basically, so choir, um, and then my papa owned gospel radio stations all over Florida, so I grew up basically, my mom was a DJ on that radio station, so she would do um, brunch time gospel was her show, so she would do, I think it was like uh, every day from 11 to 12 or something like that, she'd have an hour show where she would play gospel music and select, so I'd be like in there with her when I was little doing that and listening to music. And they'd also have, I mean, this is like Southern gospel. So they would have these traveling acapella groups come through, like four-part harmony traveling, you know, like gospel groups. So I just remember like hearing that as being, you know, that was really like the biggest musical influence, which is weird because I don't sing harmonies at all. You would think that I do. You don't do harmonies at all? I'm working on it, but it's not my strength. Why do you think you didn't? Like take I don't know. That. I actually just put that two and two together. That that's interesting. That I don't. So do you, do you feel like you have like a like it's almost like a fuck you? I'm not learning harmonies because <laughs> of the church thing. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't think that at all. Actually, I think the music was the best part about church. I don't have a negative association with that. I don't know. I think that's interesting. I actually, never thought about it. I think I've always just sang lead. I've always just been like uh, thinking of melodies and lead lines. I can sing harmonies if you tell me what to do. And, you know, I think that I I just don't have a strong enough music theory background to build correct harmonies. I can sing harmony, but it's not always like a correct traditional harmony. I feel you. I was listening to um, the Red Hot Chili Peppers recently and talk about somebody who does harmonies that that are just like way different. Yeah, like John Frusciante just is like, doesn't have a like a like doesn't care at all. He's just like I'm gonna sing whatever I think sounds good over this thing. I kind of think that's cool, actually. It's awesome. I love it. Yeah. That's what. That's why I was like, I took note of it, and I was like, this is a guy who has no real musical training outside of mm-hmm. whatever the producer told him in the studio, and he's just going for it, and it right. sounds so good, and it's also what adds to the 
unique style and sound that they have, you know. I think that's actually really interesting because a lot of musicians that I work with are trained. And I find myself a lot of times when playing or practicing feeling like if something is not quite right or off, it's like I automatically blame myself because I don't have as much theoretical background. And um, just starting to learn that like maybe if it's not something that fits in the box, you know, that is taught, I guess. It might not fit in the box, but that doesn't mean it's not bad or, or it's not good, I'm sorry, or that it is bad. Right. Um, it might just be more interesting, like, if you think about different cultures and countries that have different melodies or different scales that they build their melodies off of. Totally. Wouldn't necessarily fit in that box either, but they sound really cool. For and sure. interesting, yeah. Especially in, like, Eastern music where there's mm -hmm. a lot of these like, micro and quarter tones that are happening that you don't really get in Western music. Mm -hmm. so there's all kinds of, like, things you can do with that. But I just think it, it, it's, yeah, there's definitely uh, an advantage to knowing theoretically what's happening. But it's also, it can be stifling creatively if you rely solely on that mm -hmm. to map out the process. Yeah, you know? it's probably good to have like both, have a team working where we have kind of both of those things happening. Definitely, yeah. Um, so you have a, a few projects that you're working on right now, right? Mm -hmm. You have a GoFundMe that you're trying to mm -hmm. get going for a project you can't fully divulge the information mm -hmm. on. But can you give us a little bit of, a, of an idea of what it's about? So that project, it's it's going to be a tribute album, and that's really all I can't say is like who the artist that we're tributing is. Um, but it's somebody who I really really like a lot. Can we do like twenty questions? <laughs> sure. Alive Let's or dead? It. I don't know. <laughs> sorry, it's not twenty questions. I need a yes no. No, whatever. Sorry. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'll be working with a producer named Michael Goldwasser, who is um, really good at doing this type of work. It'll be a reggae dub tribute album of an artist. Um, I'm really excited about that, but I don't have too much information to give about that right now. So. Do you have like a timeline of when you're looking to put it out or get it done? Um, we're working on arrangements right now and tracking most likely uh, in this summer. So. Where are you going to be tracking at? In New York. New York. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Uh, do you know the studio? By no. any chance? No? Okay. Are you, are you, do you know what you're just not allowed to say? I don't know. Oh, you don't know? Okay. <laughs> I'll actually be there next week or the week after to find out a little bit more details so but i don't know right now what studio i mean pretty much anything that, you, that you're going to do up there is going to be awesome that's yeah i mean like i have a thing. feeling the musicians are all going to be pretty top-notch and it's a really exciting project and pretty stoked um there's a you know i'm learning a lot also the interesting thing about this project is there could have been the option to have the have a label fit the bill for it basically and in that situation I wouldn't own anything and I would be more of a hired singer in that situation um this situation offers me the opportunity to own the masters and um and then shop to a label maybe once the product is done which is I'm confident it's going to be banging so um there's talk about doing sync licensing for film and that's something that I know nothing about and I'm starting to read up on. And I was actually hoping to talk to you about, see if you had any kind of like experience in that realm or knew anything about that. Very. This uh, is like dream though to get on. Well, we say sync license. So you mean like. Like for movies and, and what Does that stand or, for anything? Not stand for, it's short for something though? Like I thought it was like syndication or something like that. That is what it sounds like. Right. I mean, I, I would imagine so. I just know it's sync licensing. So, okay, whatever. I think yeah. that means the same thing. I think so. I don't know. That's what sync stands for, I think. 
Yeah, so I know very, like, I have a very small, uh, a very tiny amount of experience with it. Um, the singer in my dad's band does a lot of that kind of stuff. Uh, and he, had, like, he was using a third party called Taxi, mm-hmm. which I think something like 3% of the people that sign up with Taxi end up getting, like, real offers for that kind of stuff. So, anyways, he got an offer and then was able to make the, the direct connection with the company that bought the rights to his music. So he's been able to get steady work like that. So he has like songs and movies. And I know he gets royalty checks like quarterly mm-hmm. for that kind of stuff. I don't know how much they're for. Um, and there was one opportunity where, you know, he's been writing music and recording music since like the 70s. So there was one opportunity where uh, a movie needed music that sounded like it was from the 80s but i guess they couldn't really afford like the actual licensing rights to like big uh songs so they put like an ad out there for it and uh billy is a guy's name billy Livesey. he uh he sent in the submission and got it they paid him like 10 grand or something for all of, like, yeah catalog. I, th- I think that's the appeal and why um this producer's thinking that that might be a good avenue is because it is a tribute album so it's a cover album essentially um, movies, it would be a pretty high bill to get the these original records on a movie score just based on who the artist is. So to do covers with a similar sound is actually advantageous to sync licensing. So so are you guys, you guys have to still buy the rights to, 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 to record the music, right? Um, so he's an expert at it. He's done many of these types of albums. Um, the um, if you look at like the Easy Star All Stars, that's a band that does um, dub side of the moon. They've done right. Radio Dread, Thrilla, all of these like reggae dub versions of records. It's the same producer. Oh, okay, cool. So um, it's not an Easy Star All Stars record release. I'm going to be doing this independently and owning this independently. So that's really awesome. But um, he's familiar with that process, and hopefully, I'll learn a lot um, through sure. this experience. But from what I understand, um, you know, the publishing is actually split between the label, and in this case, the label Sony, and the artist who we're covering. Um, So the publishing pot, and I'm just learning about all this stuff. This is like getting a grip on it. Because I think it's like anything, like as soon as you fully understand it, because a lot of people will walk around and act like they know what they're talking about with this stuff. And not very, very many people really fully understand it because you could tell when you start asking somebody to explain it to you and, you know, it's complicated. But I think if you really do fully understand it, that's when you'll start making money. Yeah. Because just like anything, like if you're a smart person and you fully understand a process, then you learn how to make that process work for you. Totally. Right? So I kind of feel like that's where I'm at. And one of the reasons I'm really excited about this project and to work with some of these people who do know what they're talking about. Because as soon as I get a grip on it, trust me, I'm going to come share the knowledge and we're going to make money. Hell yeah. I love that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Totally. It's just a strategy. Once you figure it out, it's obtainable. So the way I think it works is, so publishing, you know, usually the publishing company will take a percentage and I think a, a standard is like 20% and the artist gets 80. That's experience that of I've the had. publishing? Yeah, so I've released other tunes with labels where um, the pub- they took 20% of the um, publishing, and then I get the, the rest of the 80. That's a pretty insane That's a large deal. amount, That's you think? That's a large amount. Like, to like, go to the 
to in the, the favor of yeah, to the artist. That's yeah. what I was thinking too. I figured they would just take all of it since they wrote it or whatever. Depends on the deal, I think. So I did one, and then they took twenty, whatever. But I they also didn't do much for me. So I think that also depends on like the marketing side of things, like what kind of campaign is there lined up for marketing? Because it's in their advantage to push it if they own the publishing, right? right. They I want it to be. It's where all the money is at is the publishing. Mm-hmm. So if you're, so. Typically, what will happen, if they're doing like a full distribution deal on it, then right. they'll probably take all of the publishing. And I don't really know how it works once you, once like where the writer split comes in, but I know that it's split up in two ways. You have the writing credits on it, then you have the public, who owns the publishing on it. And you can have a publishing company, and, and you can be a writer with ASCAP or BMI, whoever, or CSAC, whoever. And then you can own all of the writing and then all of the publishing. Right. But if you don't have the distribution and you don't have the resources to get the music heard, pointless. it does no, yeah, exactly. Right. And the publisher is also responsible for getting you paid. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's super important. But the way it seems like is there's two buckets. There's a hundred percent bucket here and a hundred percent bucket here. This is a publishing bucket and this is the writing performance bucket. Right. And so the producer and the art and the writer usually split somewhere in here. Right. And then the publishing is over here. And then there's a, another thing, which is ownership of the masters. Okay. And that's essentially the product that you would sync license. Okay. Right? That's like the tangible product in the end, the I masters. See. So, and you can do whatever you want with that if you own it. Right. If you don't own it, that's then you're kind of screwed. So I think that that is really important. And when you get on with different labels and stuff, I think that's one area where people get screwed. Yeah, they don't own the rights to the music, you know, and, the, and it gets real... To the masters. To, to, to the masters. So is there a sep- there's a separation between the masters th- and the, the music So itself. I think credits, right, through BMI ASCAP, so splitting credits, like where it's like the writer and then you split with your producer or whatever, whoever's involved in writing, that's like royalties that you get paid on over time through streaming and anytime it's played anywhere you want a strong publisher to help you collect that money obviously and get it out but i think that there's another pot in way by way of the masters and that is what gets sync licensed okay and or sold right to someone else so is it just because if i sync license the music to a movie score and i sell that exclusively to them now they have that for their movie or whatever it's still going to be able to stream on all these other platforms. I'm still going to be able to generate royalty revenue and on that low low scale level. But like that's a separate pot that I now have control. I also have, would have control to merchandise. I would have control to tour it. Like that's a product. Okay, Do you see I what see. I'm saying? Yeah, I see what you're saying. So what is publishing cash in on then? Like how do they make money? It's a good question. Yeah, okay. I'm so, very confused about that. That's why I preface this with I know nothing about this and I'm learning. So this is how I understand it right now, but I know the publishing is basically the people that are getting like like you were saying, the, the people that are getting your music heard. Like that's that's what it is. So it's like it when you're like like music managers and people like that, like if you want placement in like a movie or if you want placement in Playlists. Uh, playlists, like what yeah, like whatever it is, they're basically exposing your music to, to companies that are gonna uh you know basically pay you to use it. I need a flow chart. Yeah. And then they also <laughs> I think they go after your money basically. Like basically they oh, they, they oh, collect for you yeah. for you, you know what I mean? That's what ASCAP and BMI do as a whole. Yeah. They, right. Like they they, they keep tabs okay. on where it's getting played and who's play. that's why the bars pay 
you know, twelve hundred dollars a year or whatever it is to yeah. the uh, to have a license to have a license. So they, they just say a lump so are sum. Are they publishers? They're, they're not publishers. They're <laughs> buying. They're paying the publishers, right? I'm out. right? Or they're paying ASCAP and BMI who are paying the publishers. Okay. You know what? I just went to this um, songwriters festival recently, and um, this guy told me something that was really interesting. I did not know that you can, if you have original music, you can basically like report that when you play it yeah. out at venues. Mm-hmm. And I know, I'm not sure how much you're going to get paid, but basically, for example, Prohibition Kitchen has a license, right, mm-hmm. through ASCAP to allow people to play music in their venue, basically covered music. So because I have a band and I play some of my original music, that counts because it's released music and registered through BMI in my case. But I could, you know, be reporting hours that I've played my original music at Prohibition Kitchen. And basically they're paying, PK is paying that license. They're paying X amount of dollars a year for the use of the music. So if nobody's collecting on that, then it's money sitting in the pot. So yep. we should all be collecting on music when we play original music in venues. Yeah. That's part of part our of money. That's my money. Yeah, it's literally just uh, like you're saying. <laughs> it might just be just a couple pennies, but it's still my something. Money. It's, it's that's what I'm curious about. What the rate is? Because couldn't I just like pay for BMI and then just like let my original music just play nonstop somewhere uh, and then just be like do I collect the money? Somebody's got to pay that license. And the license I would pay like the license. Though, over, you know I, mean? I mean, I know, I think it depends on how many days a week or whatever you have live music, but I mean, it's a couple thousand dollars a year. And the cap of the room too, I think. And the has, cap of the room, yeah. yeah. But what happens if nobody ever collects on a venue? Where does that money go? If nobody clicks on a venue, I think it just literally sits there and, and, and whoever the, the agency is that collects the royalties is just taking it and it's like... If, or if you're not going to take it, we're going to take it. Because right. I mean, how many bands out there don't know about that? You know yeah. what I mean? And uh, something that that's something else my dad's band does is they 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 fill out all that paperwork and they do it. But and they, and he was telling me it's not very much money and you get paid quarterly for it. And like we don't play our originals out out at the bars, so like we haven't done it. But I mean, for as often as we do go out on the road and play these songs. I mean, I can't imagine the juice, the juice is worth the squeeze right now, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know what the process is. It's just a matter of filling out, like, a sheet of paper, I think, mm-hmm. and then putting it in, and they, they decide how much you get paid for it. I was going to say, stick with me on this one. But you think about, like, a place that has two stages, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I can't uh, – what was the name of the – Plush used to have two stages over here in Jacksonville. Uh, do they have to pay two licensings or just one? I don't know the answer. Here's the thing. So how many stages can we get? And then how many speakers can I get playing my song over and over again? Uh, well, I'm just I, trying to say, what's the math on it? <laughs> Let's, what are you trying to – Run the, the numbers, boys, real quick, and we'll see if I get any money on yeah. uh, playing 100 <laughs> speakers of my song on repeat 24 hours a day. Well, you we just get paid per stream at that point. That's all it is. That's all I'm saying. No, it, the answer is no. <laughs> nope. That's it's an astounding nope. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think it's going to be a lot of money. No. But I think the point is, like, even if you went through it one time, I think, like we were saying before, the point is just to understand the way the industry works. Right. So that you can figure out, obviously, there are people that make money in this industry. Yeah. And there are people that don't have a lot of talent. Yeah. I'm sorry to say, but there are making a lot of money. So there must be another element in there, and it's probably got more to do with understanding the business, you know? 100%, yeah. Or, like, having the people, the infrastructure of people that do understand it. And that's the thing that 
we you know, we were just talking about this earlier with our previous guests that the the lack of industry as far as the music goes in uh florida just as a whole uh you're not like you're not exposed to those op- those opportunities mm-hmm. in the same way so the education of how to actually navigate the music industry is not really here right you know so it's on us to kind of figure out how to navigate it and then figure it out so like if you if you're out in LA or New York or Nashville or something, then you can surround yourself with people that know, know how this works. Uh, if you're not, then you have to learn it all yourself and hopefully compete. You know. I say we should probably do this again in like three months. <laughs> yeah, like see if back we can like circle back. Yeah, because I'm, I'm taking it on myself to really study and learn this stuff over the next few months. Could you bring a flowchart next time? Sure. <laughs> all right. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. I'm a visual can I have learner. A pointer. <laughs> Absolutely. And we can put it up here and we can. Like a laser pointer or like old school? Sure. We can't, old school is well, my preference. That's what I'm, that's we can't what I'm cover that too. poster though. Yardstick would be better. Really yeah. big. <laughs> you can't cover that poster. I smack you with it. <laughs> Don't be weird. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Try real hard. Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, I, I would love to know all the ins and outs of it. But the more we talk about it, the more confused I get. Yeah. If I could just have like a permanent, like just put it on the wall right here. Here's how you make money musicians. There's no way that's ever going to happen. Why not? Because it doesn't, it's not that, it's so complicated the flow side, chart. The it's side not that I've got. You've seen the food pyramid before, right? <laughs> yeah. How many servings do you have nutrition. of grains? Isn't like, everyone obese in our country? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I uh, uh, the side of it that I really got into. I've done a little bit of reading on that side. Mm-hmm. Of, the side of it that I really got into more is like the marketing and the PR side, because uh, that to me is the most obtainable thing. I have the most control over that right mm-hmm. now. So the, the social media stuff and the. Uh, like how to use those platforms uh, for uh, ad campaigns um, and learning about the cycles and how to promote, when to promote, what kind of content you need, how to create that content. That's the kind of stuff that I've been really honing in on over the last year or so. And even especially now, like just even further down the rabbit hole. Um, So I definitely need to get more into the music licensing side of it. Um, I just haven't seen the uh, the return on the album stuff that we've done. So I so get very unmotivated to do yeah, it. Yeah, I think that really the only way you can get a return on music is to tour it. Yeah. Which is, we've done a lot of, a lot of like regional touring and stuff, but just uh, with COVID right now, not going to happen. So I think we're definitely reevaluating how we're going to get the name out there. Mm-hmm. I think the content and building the, brand online, picking your markets of where you want to advertise it, seeing where it's working, where it's not, and structuring tours around the data mm-hmm. is going to be the, the best way to do it's it. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's just nonstop and, fun. And it just rarely well, you involves you figure playing. that out, and I'll figure yeah. the other stuff out. And then <laughs> there it goes. <laughs> yeah. We create a whole label right here in North Florida. Well, I think that that should have happened a long time ago. I mean, we have so much talent here. We have the School of the Arts. We have UNF. We have Sirius just – Talent everywhere and Limp nobody Biscuit. knows. <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah, Limp Biscuit. Shine, shine, shine down, shine down, shine down's great. Similar, uh, but <laughs> okay. I was gonna say, uh, does Limp Biscuit have a label out here? No, there's no label based out of LA mm. now, anyways. But we could talk about it off air. So I don't want to talk too much about it on air. Uh, but there's a lot of things that we have in the works in cool. on this end of it too. So, um, but yeah, it's all very exciting. 
Uh, so many secrets today. I know. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's, the whole podcast has just been talking about what we can't talk about. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, so this is going on where we can't fully disclose what's yeah, happening. Yeah, I was about to say, is, the, is the artist that you're doing the tribute for it and you're going to do a reggae sort of dub version of it, are they a reggae slash dub? Would that be very strange? To there are them? clues I know, in the names of the albums that would lend to that. It the, That music wants to be reggae. Let's just say that, but it's not. Oh, hmm. I'm going to sit here and really think about this one for a second. Is this sublime? <laughs> <laughs> Billy's like dead No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm doing just kidding. a reggae dub tribute to sublime. Yeah. You know, at least someone's finally doing it. <laughs> I got to, you know, congratulate you for that. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. So... What's the original project that you're working on? <laughs> um, so I've just been writing music basically my whole life. And I've been releasing singles, which I think is what everybody's been doing lately. Um, but I think my next goal is to release an album. So while I'm working on this tribute project, which hopefully will get a nice push and bigger platform than what I have by myself, just based on who I'm working with. Uh, I'd like to release an original <clears throat> album to follow it. So along the way, I'm just continuing to track. I have a studio set up in my house now. So that's really cool. I'm able to track in my house with quality sound, whereas before I've been reliant on going to studios. Yeah. So I did do a little bit of an upgrade this year so that I could have the capability of doing that. Um, <clears throat> but on that project, I'm working with a couple different producers one of them's name is Paris Lamont. He's based out of Jamaica. Um, he's an incredibly incredible musician. He tours with Protege as a keyboard player, um, and he's connected with the music scene in Jamaica. So, like the last single that I released, all of those players were based in Jamaica. I never met any of them, so we're all like sh file sharing. Nice, you know. And he's collecting files from musicians who I've never even met before, but we've been work. We've, I think we have like three tracks now that we've done together and the sound is great. What, what's the communication process? Like, are you telling them what you don't and do like, and then having them kind of readjust? So basically Paris and I are working really closely. Um, I'm writing all of the um, lyrics and melodies to the music. We FaceTime, I'll send him a melody, he'll write it out on the piano, then we'll get a basic idea of the structure of the song. Um, then I'll go and track scratch vocals, and then we'll listen to it, and be like, okay, well, this is going to need a bass line next. We send it to the bass player. And these are musicians that are just super talented and familiar with the genre, and they hear it one time, and they know exactly what to put on there. Um, they might do two passes, you know, with a little bit of feedback, but um, communicating through WhatsApp, <laughs> basically doing file sharing through WeTransfer and um, working with people who know the genre really well. That makes all the difference. Yeah. You know, like nitpick and explain to them how things work. No, and I mean, what I've realized is that I think that I know this is true in reggae music. It might not be so true in other genres, but I, I have a feeling it is, that the circle is actually really small. Once once you realize that, everyone knows everybody, yeah. first of all, you know. Um, so you treat people really nicely all the time. Yeah. 
Um, but also just about anyone is accessible. So even like somebody that you hear on a record and you're like, oh my God, he's the best bass player, blah, blah, blah. Um, it's, it's interesting the way that media portrays bands and people in bands is this like unaccessible person who's, you know, unreachable basically, but with social media and networking and the way things are right now, just about anybody is accessible and just reach out and ask them to play on your record. And totally. might do it, especially in 2020 when <laughs> people were not touring. It was like anybody that, I mean, the first pick on, like, I want this bass player on this track within a genre, you know, musicians in a genre. And it's like, okay. Yeah. Here it, it goes. It's pretty wild how, how accessible they all are. Do you, are you familiar with Joe Marcinick? No. He's a good friend of ours. Uh, we did we backed him up on a on a little run through Florida a few years ago, and uh, he's like a jazz funk kind of genre, and uh, he puts all these like records together. He like hires George Porter uh, from the Meters and like all these like uh, who he, else did he have? He had uh, Bernie Warrell. Uh, Bernie Warrell on there. Warrell on there. He what had uh, what's his name from the Grateful Dead? Which one? Not O'Teal, but John. yes, O'Teal also. Was that who? Who's a keys player? Yeah, yeah. Um, all these, like, he gets all these huge names. And I asked him about how he did that. And he's just like, I don't know, man, you'd be surprised. You just reach out and see what happens. He, he had the bass player from the Revivalist playing with him on just like a couple of bar gigs. And I was like, how, how did you do that? It's yeah. like, I don't know, man, you give him a call. And they're, they're just good. people too. Yeah. You know? And I, when he told me that, I guess that, that put all this stuff in my head to start reaching out for features in the next album and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, 100%. I highly support that. And it's like, it's weird. I think that that is the case with a lot of things in life, really. People just get it in their head that something is not possible, like yeah. making money in the music industry. And it actually is. You just have to understand how to use it. You yeah. know what I mean? Like how to use it in your favor, period. You know what I mean? Like if if what you want to do is make albums, make albums, but then figure out how to make them make you money. So do what you want to do and then understand it well sell it to a movie, make your money back, and make your album. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it, is, it is that. It's, I mean, like the, the idea that there's all these obstacles and that, oh, no one ever is successful playing music and blah, blah, blah. It's like that's just shit that you tell yourself to avoid right. doing the work, you mm -hmm. know. And uh, I don't know. Like I'm, it's, and again, it's so easy in these scenes, in these smaller scenes, to get caught up in the, in the pitfalls of, the bar scene and all that because it's quick, easy money. You know, it's like doesn't take much creative uh, uh, effort. You just learn some tunes. Not to disparage the grind of the bar scene. It's it's hard and learning music is not easy. But at the end of the day, it's not really the entertainment industry. We're talking of just another branch of the service industry. A hundred percent. If you want to like expand beyond that, you have to do the work and really understand that every artist and, and musician is in business for the, themselves in the mm -hmm. industry. Figure out how to monetize your skill in a way that's creative and fulfilling for you, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's what I'm all about, anyways. You got figured out yet? Nope. Nope. Working on it. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely ground working work, on yeah. it. Groundwork all day. Yeah. Ground <laughs> it's the name of our new side project. Yeah. Not side hustle. No. <laughs> it, was, it was called Groundwork, and we just have uh, meetings about the next meeting. 
Oh, yeah. that sounds like every day for me. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's literally what our life has been like the last month or two. It's just been meetings and meetings about the next thing that's yep. going on. It's really exciting. You know what I find interesting? And I thought that the name of your podcast was interesting too. Thank what you. is it? Bottom of the, the bottom bill. of the bill. bill. You know what I notice a lot of times is there's just like as a female and not to like pull the female card, but it's like why are there not more women in this industry and on these bills? What do you think? Um, I know you're the interviewer, but. No, I mean, that's a good question. We're just uh, talking. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's been a male-dominated industry forever and ever, I feel like. Why do you think that is? I don't know. I mean, I think. I'd rather not say my answer, like, on what? camera. But. <laughs> This uh, is the podcast of secrets. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> no, no. So here's what I'll say. I've worked with a lot of female artists over the years. Okay. And there's… How many? Enough to, <laughs> to have possibly… Not possibly. It's unfortunate to have a skewed perspective of, this, of the situation. Uh-oh. But what you notice a lot is that… There's a lack of, um, at least in the particular scenarios that I was in, a lack of leadership and a lack of, of knowing exactly what you wanted and how you wanted it to be. And when you don't, like we were talking about with the- Hold Mofra, on, do you mean musically? In all of it, the okay. business and musically, you know. Um, and I understand that there's a dynamic there, right? So like if, you, if, you're, if you're a woman and you're fronting a band of all guys, mm-hmm. right, it can be difficult to, to, I don't know, to steer the ship sometimes. Because it's a lot of personalities. It's a lot of testosterone. There's a lot of things that, you know, get in the way or that could possibly affect that kind of stuff. But what I've noticed is that if you don't have that direction and you're not steering the ship, that uh, it's, a bunch of, it's like a bunch of cats just roaming around and nothing ends up happening. You end up staying exactly where you're at. Not to say that there's not... Uh, a lot of very strong female front women out there that can that can handle the the the, the job. Obviously, the, the, there are, and there's proven to see it with the headliners on festivals. But I think the reason why you don't see more of it is just because of the experiences that I've had, anyways. That it might not be as obvious how to get to the end result, you know, with with uh, that dynamic, you know. That's interesting. I think kind of more is just like there's been f- like they kind of been women have been pigeonholed into being like oh you're a female uh, musician so obviously you're a singer and there's not been a lot of different like female musicians. Whenever you see a female uh, musician who's an instrumentalist or anything like that, it's not that's out of place by any means, but it's just like it's I don't know how to really put it. Not unusual either, but it's just. It's different. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Too. I don't know why that is, but there is like some connotation with it. What do you think? <laughs> I think it's multi-layered. First of all, I think it's interesting that bands assume the lead singer is leader of the band. Mm-hmm. First of all, so when you are talking about female singers, and then connecting that to them being the leader of the band and steering the ship, I think that might be a mistake. But I think that's a mistake made by all male bands also. Not always is the lead singer of the band the person who should be steering the ship. Right, totally. So 
I think that that point I can see that maybe being displayed more so in a female fronted band because if a female is trying to lead a group and maybe she doesn't have the skills needed, I think she's going to be quicker disrespected or thrown to the side than if it's a guy that's sitting here trying to lead and might not know what he's talking about. First of all, I'm a female and I've been in bands and it's not, I don't think that I've personally been disrespected and I don't need to say that at all, but I could see how that could happen. Totally. But I'm also a female that's singing lead and I'm the first to say that my band should have a musical director. Somebody else making the decisions when it comes to like musical arrangement because they probably have more knowledge in that area, right? Right. But you made that decision though, right? Like you make that call because you know that you're yeah. aware. Right. And like that's the thing that I think that especially when they're when when it's younger people. Okay, but I'm gonna stop you there and I hear that point. You're saying that girls don't really do that, but what I see is like bands falling on these lineups that don't have together at all. Oh, totally, yeah. And so, like, how, you know what I mean? It's, like, irrelevant whether or not it's a female out there flailing or not. It's not just, all. like, you know what I mean? Like, it's almost like a good, it's like, it's like the... Good old boy kind of like the boy club. It's yeah. like, you know, it's not that all these guys are doing so much of a better job. It's not. just that they're boys, you know what I mean? They're, totally. They're bros. So it's like, I'm going to put my bro on the lineup. And then I think that that's, like... Um, really unfortunate because there is I mean I know because I book a venue and I'm not saying even I'm not saying even specifically just women in general are left out but there's several super talented bands regardless of you know gender that are being left out and and overlooked and like why not why not like actually like branch out and look for new fresh raw talent and give them an opportunity that's what I don't see a lot of, and I don't under—I don't really understand how that could be sustainable or, or um, successful. Because you know, you see a lot of the same tours coming through and the same festivals, and it's like you've seen these bands a million times. It's not interesting, you know. Right? Yeah, it's definitely a big thing about Florida as well. It's a very safe market, yeah. So they're not really willing to take a lot of risks on new things. Uh, so you don't see a lot of new, like you don't see a lot of up and coming bands coming out on the festival stuff or a lot of tours that. Uh, where there might be like a like a a breakout artist uh-huh. in in bigger uh, markets, but it's just not it's just not hitting here in Florida, yeah. and it has to be something that I think is tried, market tested, and approved in every other market before Florida's like, okay, we're good. I think we can have you down here now, right. type thing. You know, I actually did a breakout artist slot at Reggae Rise Up a few years ago. Really. They did a, a like a lot, you know, the lineup would have already been built, and then they did a um, a new artist kind of like contest. Um, <clears throat> it was vote based, and then uh, I guess like all the Florida votes, and whoever got the most votes ended up on the bill. And you you got that? Mm-hmm. That's awesome. What was that experience like? Uh, it was amazing. Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, we had thousand people sitting there at our set which was amazing you know that's awesome but i would have never gotten that opportunity if it weren't for you know allowing people to speak so maybe that is something that some of these local festivals could do is like allow for like a break breakout artist on the lineup for some of these festivals you know yeah i mean i have have, supporters vote in. i have so many opinions on what some of these promoters should do for uh festivals and i think that some of it's just like like keeping your ear to the ground and and understanding like like really watching who's doing what and how mm-hmm. they're doing it 
uh, like you're saying, a lot of it is like, well, this is just my friends. So I'm going to put them on the bill. And that's a terrible business model. Yeah. I think that I'm not totally against that idea if your friend has a viable product. You right. know? But like if your friend is just like somebody that doesn't really have anything going on and it's just like whatever. And then you're putting them on festivals when there's other bands that are working really hard and doing everything the right way, at least on paper. Uh, and they're not getting the opportunities. That is uh, a huge blow to the uh, morale of the scene, I think, you know? Yeah, it doesn't uh, allow for the scene to evolve because those artists that are working really hard are the ones that may actually be successful. Exactly. And you're you're actually, like, preventing anyone from coming out of this region and then, by doing that. Exactly. And then, furthermore, it's like, then you want to then the bands that do become successful don't want to work in this region anymore. Right. It's like, well, you didn't get, like, you're not the ones that gave us our opportunity. Actually, these people up in this area gave us our opportunity. Right. So we're going to go ahead and explore this market some and fuck you guys. Yeah. Right. You know? It's kind of like, like some sort of like capitalist society. Don't get me started, bro. Instead of a nope. social democracy, we could all have. <laughs> <laughs> don't get me going down that rabbit hole. <laughs> Um, it's true. I don't know what what quote it was. Whatever about uh, if you work real hard your whole life, you, you still can fail. Yeah, totally. And that does suck. It's the nepotism and who you know uh, that sometimes gets you on festivals and being in the right place at the right time. I don't really know how to change that either. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think like, that. What that, are you gonna do? I don't think that ever stops. Except for level. like boycott going to festivals, like we want new music or something. Yeah. I don't know. I think that the idea of getting a label going here would be actually a really great move in the right direction because if you've got the right minds behind that, with a goal of like developing artists and um, maybe some artist management and representation, then you might be able to make some of that change totally you can bypass whatever current gatekeepers are here you know yeah. and or even by way of maybe not necessarily bypassing but partnering with whatever gatekeepers you know and it's like this exchange that we get like five slots on the bill or whatever for an exchange of this or what it's just like figuring out a way to partner with them and then using your best judgment to develop artists to put them where they need to be right and that's that's a win-win also because if you're you know if you've got a label going and you've got artists on label you want them to be successful that's in your best interest also so it's kind of like we just need to be a little bit more i think everybody's out for themselves a lot is the attitude with a lot of people totally. and it's like i get that everybody wants to succeed and i see where that's coming from but i think one thing that i have learned actually not anywhere in the music business <laughs> And other endeavors that, like, if you can learn to partner with people, right, that have already got something figured out, like, we don't have to all do this. We don't all have to do everything ourselves, right? That costs a lot of money and wastes all of your energy. But, like, if you're really good at, like, figuring out who to partner with and make it, like, a community collaboration, then it's just going to be more successful. Totally. And you're keeping each other's interest in mind instead of just, like, one man for himself, you know? And uh, Yeah, and thinking about like what you can bring to the table, you know, right. that's a big thing that I think a lot of people don't think about. It's every, like, like you're saying, it's always about like, well, what can be done for me? Like, mm -hmm. what, can, like what can I do to get ahead? And it's like, people are much more willing to help you when they know that you can help yourself also, mm -hmm. you know, and then in turn help them. So the idea is that you want to partner with people, just basically I'm just reiterating what you're already saying. You want to partner with people 
and you want to make sure that you have something to offer that mm -hmm. they in an area that they either might be lacking mm -hmm. or where they see the potential for growth, right? Mm -hmm. So like we've been very lucky in surrounding ourselves with people that have bought into our vision and have been supportive in a lot of different ways. And um, that's how I've learned about how to grow like your enterprise and really, really make it like an entire, I mean, I say it a lot as a joke, but it's kind of also being serious like an empire, you know, like you want to build your infrastructure and you want to have everything covered. You want to work with people that are going to help you do the thing. And in turn, you help them get to where they want to be too. Mm -hmm. you build the scene, you build the community and ultimately the industry and all that follows, you know? Yeah. So it's kind of strange thinking about like festival lineups, like, uh, at the bottom of the bill, uh, that, you know, maybe there's like 10 bands you've never heard of and you're just like, um, all, all the big headliners on top, that's what's bringing all these people. Why are they even putting these 10 people on here? They're just losing money on it. It's not like the people that were going to come to this festival are not going to come because the little bands on the bottom are on. You know what I mean? Be curious. I, I don't know. I disagree with that. All right. So, for example, and we're just going to, like, bash some names right now. And these are, it. like, not local people, so I'm not worried about it. But <laughs> And we're just going to go back to the reggae scene, right? You see these lineups all the time, which is really what I've been talking about, not necessarily local, although I do know it happens on a local level for sure. Um, but you'll see, you know, a headliner like Revolution – all the time on every reggae festival, every cruise, everything, right? Revolution is a band full of American guys from the West Coast, right? right? And every time they're coming through, you know, Florida here soon, it's like, who's the headline of Revolution? Who's the support down the line? Steel Pulse. Right. I've you seen know that. what I mean? It's like, ridiculous. how does that, that's, how does that make sense? You know, Steel Pulse is like, a legendary reggae band, authentic reggae band, you know, from Jamaica. And they're they're been around for forever and they're supporting Revolution, who is this like white boy West Coast reggae band from California or whatever. Right. And it's like Which basically just took everything from Steel Pulse and the bands that came before. Like, so it's just like the irony in that. <clears throat> so I would ne I, I I'm not gonna say I would never, but I would be very unlikely to go to just like a revolution show just because number one, I've seen them before. And number two, it's just, they're not my favorite band, but would I go see steel pulse all day. Yeah, totally. And then, you know, but could steel pulse pull that many people as revolution. Can? Not as many as revolution will, but they'll pull a demographic that needs that they, that they might, you know, not otherwise be pulling. Mm -hmm. But the difference being, I think that like what you're talking about versus what you're talking about yeah. is that you're talking about like a direct support act. Whereas you're talking about like a festival of like 60 that's, bands. That's kind of what I thought you were talking you know? about. Sorry. Uh, it's almost, well, I now, guess now I get what you're saying for sure. I guess that sure. is different, but in, yeah, yeah, in yeah. the direct support, it's almost like, it's almost like they got steel pulse on to make them look cooler or uh, more legit oh. or to like legitimize their existence in some way right. or authenticate it. You know what I mean? Which I think is really whack, honestly. Yeah, and totally. like, um, but you know, like, I guess that is different than what you were saying. But in the same, in the same instance, like a lot of the same, head, you see the same headliners on these festivals over and over and over again. Yeah. And no, I wouldn't go see that same festival over. I don't care how big they are. I've seen them. Okay, cool. I've seen them five times, whatever. Who's on the bottom? Right. You know what I mean? Like, who's new? Who's coming up? Which is why I think that that bottom of the bill, whatever, is actually really important. We're the best. 
Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's what we see, and that's all really we've cool. seen. So, so <laughs> it would be very, it would be really cool to have some sort of like partnership with a festival promoter where you did some bottom of the bill exchange, right? So, Trust like, him. yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I I think that that and and you could even have a full. You could even maybe we should. I just had a really good idea. Yeah, let's, let's <laughs> put a pin in that. Let's talk about okay. that. Uh, hold on, I'm going to write down a good idea on my notepad. Here, good. let me write something down there for down, you. Yeah, but it'd be good. You could do like a showcase or whatever when everybody comes into town. It's like, and then bottom of the bill presents. Yeah. Uh, there's been a lot of. I don't know if that's what you were thinking. Was that what you thinking about? Okay, yeah, we're not going to talk about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'd be curious about what what you're talking about, though, with the. Uh, like, like what the purpose of having a lot of the smaller, like if you have like oh, 20 just, bands. Just from, a, just from a numbers and business aspect. No, that's I, what I'm talking no, about. No, no, that's what I'm saying. Not, I'm, not a no, no, no. emotional. <laughs> no, no, of course, of course. But I'm probably cu- local support. Local support. Most of them are probably living in the general region. If they're that small, they're not getting paid much, can't travel far. So they're pulling 10, 15, 20 friends who might pull a person with them. So now you got 50, 60 each, you know? Right. I'm also curious as to whether or not they want to report a higher spending amount so they can justify getting more money from investors the following year they don't to pull spend in bigger. Much on them. I mean, right, yeah, usually but, they just give you tickets to sell. Well, sometimes, but sometimes they'll give you like, you know, if you're like if you're like a low if you're at the bottom of the bill, you can get anywhere from a couple hundred dollars to depending on the size of the festival like a grand or more, mm-hmm. you know. So, when you have like 20 bands operating at that level that are getting similar deals i mean we're talking between five ten thousand dollars in overhead that if you don't report spending that you might not get the same amount of money from investors the next yeah, year to, to, I mean, to pay for bigger I headliners get what you're saying, but you, you could do that i with could be like, way off base i'm you, just thinking you could do that with like another beer tent though you don't have to yeah, or true. it might be I don't the think time the in which they need to fill so right. if it's a three-day festival they can't spend 10 grand on every band for three days, right. you know, so they're going to find the bottom of the bill bands to come in, right. take up some of that time. Oh, that makes that's more true. sense. Yeah, that I like, I like that, yeah. that explanation more. Yeah, I'm just always thinking about well, like maybe the, they the, just the, want to do good deeds. Yeah, no, it's definitely not that. No, Sometimes not, it is. <laughs> no, a lot of it is. Rarely it's, it's that. It's probably to take up the space and to sell local support supported ticket sales, you know, right. and get the word out. It's like street, it's like street advertisement. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. And it takes up the spots. With low budget. With yeah, spending. exactly. Kick your uh, it's okay. It's like a ninety or it's like a fifty dollar guitar, anyway. So you're good. Okay. Yeah. Are we gonna smash <laughs> it at the end of this? We definitely could, right, Bill? Nope. Badass. I'll buy you a new one. Really? No. I was about to say you've loaded. <laughs> uh, I was gonna that, but I was gonna add. That's why, like, I'm doing well. When you see, uh, like Bonnaroo, there's no local bands at Bonnaroo, or if there are, there's like two. There's a couple of. But like, what's the local draw? Yeah, you're right. Like though. where? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? You know the smaller. I mean, for those, like, for the big ones, but, but like for the smaller but like, ones. But like Bonnaroo is like not a. It's kind of a bigger budget festival. Exactly. I mean, that'd be like saying, does Coachella have local acts? No. Too? Yeah, because yeah. they have enough funding to support headliners throughout the Across whole weekend. The weekend yeah. Whereas like something at Swanee or here in Jacksonville or whatever, it's like the funding is much lower. So. I gotta fill up the bills somehow and have like one or two headliners on. Right. I don't know. It's a good question, but yeah, I don't really. We we'll get Paul Levine on here and talk about it. Oh, he'll never see anything. <laughs> if anything, he'll just be like, "Yeah," and he has. He has like gifted, you know, stage time to to bands that he sees that are like making it and everything like that. It's like, 
you know, it could really give your band a boost. Putting put you on Bear Creek. That, my band's at the very, very bottom of that poster uh, for Bear Creek, and we've been talking to him about it uh, constantly. And uh, he didn't even tell us. He just announced that poster lineup. Oh, and then cool. an hour later, he goes, he goes, hey, check out the poster. And then it, we were just on it on the festival. That's cool. Like, because <laughs> we really needed it. So. Yeah, no, that's that's, awesome. that is cool. So he does. Yeah, Paul does some, does some good stuff for sure. Yeah. I'm not saying that they're all bad but there's it's very rarely out of, a, out of a goodwill gesture like like he probably knew that you guys had a draw in jacksonville and was like yeah we can throw him on the festival yeah you know so uh but he didn't have to nobody has to do anything but they feel like it's gonna work in their favor they will <laughs> <laughs> paul levine i'm just trying to say thank you yeah. <laughs> an omnipotent benevolent creature please yeah. put me on your festival yeah. Paul yeah. Levine. <laughs> praise the lord um, so I'm, cu- <laughs> I'm curious. I how meant you- that. Yeah, we all did. Uh, I'm curious how you got involved with like with with the reggae scene. If you come from like a gospel background, and how, how what was your introduction to reggae? <laughs> um, well, I mean, I grew up in Florida, so yeah. I've obviously heard reggae growing up and stuff. But um, I actually was waiting tables at the conch house when I was 19, I think, 20, 20, because I had already had my daughter. And um, it was reggae Sunday, and I took a break, and I went down and listened to the band. It was Peely Peely playing. And um, someone had told King Eddie that I sing, so they called me up there and like sing a song. So I sang a song with them, and he was like, you want a job? And I really wanted to leave St. Augustine at that time, and I needed a job to do that in Jacksonville, which is where I wanted to go, and it's just where they were based. So I was like, yeah, he's like, four nights a week? Perfect. So I moved to Jacksonville, um, quit Conk House, moved to Jacksonville, and I was gigging with them like four nights a week, learning their their music. And actually, I was singing backups for him. So I guess I was singing harmonies for a while. I don't know if I was doing it correctly or not. Right, you're just kind of guessing. But the other thing that I was doing that I learned was how to write over rhythms, right? And just like learning, that is one of like the fundamentals of reggae music, actually. It's, it, the concept's kind of like, um, so there's juggler rhythms in reggae music, and basically that's like a bass line. And I think that that comes from just not a lot of resources in the islands, so um, resources as in ways to record music, actual recordings of music, that kind of thing. So it was like a sound system culture in Jamaica, more so, more so than like a live band culture, right? Okay. So there would be a rhythm and they'd have a name like the stalag rhythm or the taxi rhythm, right? And it's like a bass line basically. And um, recordings of that, and it was actually like a sound system culture and they'd have sound clashes where two DJs would come out and the music was all the same but they'd see who had the bigger, louder sound system, mm-hmm. who was the better DJ, who could get the better MC on that record, right? So then they do, like, battles, and it's, like, like I said, the same rhythm, but you've got, like, you know, one MC artist on this, and they're, like, shouting out the DJ, and they're doing, like, you know, um, they're, like, bigging up the DJ, basically, and they're, like, so the DJs are warring with each other with who has the best artist on that rhythm, right? Yeah, that's pretty cool. And that's sound clash kind of thing. Who has the loudest system, who has the best singer on it. So from that, you know, I didn't really know about that. I just knew that I was singing 
in a reggae band. And all those rhythms start becoming really familiar. And then I start writing music over those rhythms just because I'm singing with them four nights a week. So like something will come into my head and they'll be like, okay, I know this rhythm. I'll sing on this one, whatever. And then I realized, you know, like as I started playing with more reggae bands is that all these reggae bands were playing the same bass lines, the same rhythms because they're classic rhythms from Jamaica, right? Right. So then just re learning about reggae music on that level by playing with a reggae band. And I thought, I've, I've just always thought that that was really interesting. The music is, but to some people will say that the music is repetitive. Billy's never said anything like that before. Or but. simple. And that might be because they might be simple mind. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but no, it is repetitive. And there's yeah. not a lot of changes in the music as far as chord structure and stuff like that goes. But that's just the nature of the music. It's more about the drum and bass and the bass lines, like meditative. And it's not on the beat. It's very much so like um, like in the pocket. It's, it's like... Uh, Syncopated. Yeah, it's something that you can't tell someone how to play. They have to be able to feel it. And you know if they're playing it right, because if, if you're really playing it right, everyone is moving their pelvic region. And if they're not, then you, you're not playing it right. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> what if Period. the person doesn't know how to dance? And they're trying to play bass? No. Oh, you mean that the bass player is, playing, is moving their pelvic region? No. No, he is crowd. hypnotizing everyone in the crowd. To, to the point where they're all just... Just say, what if they don't know how to dance? Yeah, what if they don't know how to dance? Talk to Swayze. Dirty Dancing. Is that a movie? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Anyways. But uh, I don't know. Um, what was the question originally? So that's how I got, that's how I got introduced to reggae music. It's just by getting hired by a reggae band when I was really young. And then and that band had been, Peely Peely was around since the 70s. So... They're like the original North Florida reggae band, like from way, way back in the day, and just taught me like a lot about the genre of, of music. So, yeah, it's it's uh, it's interesting with with like it's like like I guess more folk genres. Like I would consider reggae like in that vein because it it is born of like of it's it's a very specific thing that comes out of a very specific region, and it's kind of like. Uh, like blues or like hip hop or uh, well, really like like those genres where there's such a specific thing for it that uh, if you can really dive in and learn about the culture and where it's all coming from, you can really uh, appreciate the music on on a much deeper level. I think, and because there is such a unique style about it mm -hmm. that's not really like you can't really attribute the same kind of understanding. To like pop music, I feel like right. Mm -hmm. It's like it's like pop music is just kind of amalgamation of all these different things, and it's pop like a watered down. Pop music basically just steals from all of those traditional yeah. genres, right? Yeah, that's why I want to say more of a traditional genre. So it's like yeah. it's very, I don't know. It's it. I had a similar experience playing with blues bands and stuff like that, where it's like you had to really dive in mm -hmm. and listen to the traditional stuff if you wanted to authentically play the music and, and like get the gigs and get the respect and the whole thing, mm -hmm. you know. So. Yeah. I also think that I'm attracted to it because, like, you know, original reggae music is actually soul music. Like, yeah. if you listen to, like, the original Bob Marley and, like, that's, like, uh, it's soul music. Totally. Um, and I definitely grew up, like I said, in a, you know, in a church that was very lively. 
in Jacksonville here. And I mean, uh, just gospel soul, like that is my jam. And I think that translates pretty well to reggae music. It's also like kind of a spiritual and political vein to it, has meaning and purpose behind it. And most of the, uh, and when I'm talking about reggae, I'm not talking about revolution. Yeah. I'm not talking about slightly stupid. I'm not talking about sublime. Of course. So that's also a distinction I think that people have to make when they decide whether or not they like reggae music. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's such a there's such a difference. If you listen to like Jimmy Cliff or like the Heptones and like some of the earlier yeah. stuff, and then you listen to like Iration, shit like that, you're like, yeah, like Pepper. The, Pepper's it, like the worst fucking band of all time. Uh, and <laughs> and um, it's it's just it's so watered down. Mm-hmm. They 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 found one aspect of the music, and they just stuck with that one thing and. That entire West Coast genre of reggae has just, I don't know, like bastardized. Yeah, which is why I think I got lucky because I landed with a band that had been playing reggae music since the 70s and they were playing Roots and Culture. And I was just really like schooled on that in particular. It is interesting though now that I'm trying to write and release reggae music and when you're talking about marketing and all this kind of stuff, it's like, okay, well, where do I even fit in in that genre? And I've, like, had, you know, people try and talk to me about about that in particular and, like, want to work with me, but, like, maybe have me play more of this West Coast-style music uh, where it's, like, I'm not into that at all. But then how do you market me in a Caribbean-based right. music, you know, like? So that's an interesting way to look at it. But the music that I'm working on right now, I mean, I've released reggae tracks for sure, but I think that if I were to say, you know, I think I'm actually just now figuring out what the sound that I'm going for is, and maybe not even just figuring it out, but being able to translate it into into a music, music without being the sole person that plays all the instruments. I'm relying on other people to play music and help create the sound for me. So I think that takes a long time to figure out what sound is in your head sure. that you're trying to get out, you know, and the last song that I released, I think did the best job of that. And it's not straight up reggae track, you know, it has influences. All the players on it were from Jamaica, has that influence and that vibe for sure, which I really enjoy, but it also has like, some soulful vocals, um, a little bit of like jazz flavor in there, a little bit of R&B flavor in there, you know. So that's kind of more of what I'm going for. It's not like a strictly reggae record, but those influences from authentic reggae music as well as just like the soulful voice and voicings and, you know, influences from jazz, R&B also. Well, um I'm excited to hear what you're going to be putting out with uh, in that kind of vein. It'd be yeah. uh, uh, an interesting take on on all those different genres for sure. Um, I forgot that we got to do bottom of the billboard. We yeah, got so caught up in, okay. the, in the conversation, which What's is uh, a good problem. Uh, but uh, yeah, so bottom of the billboard. For those who don't know, um, we each recommend a song. <sighs> I can't do the spiel right now. You want me to do it? Yeah, you do it, Bill. Okay. <laughs> He's tired. I haven't slept. Yeah, so I'm pretty, He's pretty a little beat. Tired. A little tired today. That's okay. Okay, that's not you know. That's fine. <laughs> okay, but uh, a bottom of the board segment that we have. So uh, me and Anton have pretty different, different music taste where we don't really agree on anything. And I will recommend him a song to listen to. 
and then we both review it, and if, if it's my turn to give him a song, he gets to okay it to see if it's going to make it to our playlist bottom of the billboard. So this week's song... Does it have to be a bottom song? No, 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 no. Any song. Any song. Any song. Okay. It's just... Yeah. It's called Bottom of the Billboard because we were thinking of playlist names. But the more I we talk about them, like it sounds like they're all shitty songs. Yeah, but no, they're, they're, not. they're not. It's just like they're supposed to be thing. like like our favorite songs. I don't know. It just is part of the podcast. It's just a name. Yeah. What is the name? Uh, Anyways, but uh, this week is Mac Demarco's, and I forgot the name of the song because I have a really bad problem of just listening to albums I like on Spotify and then just letting it play. Don't worry, I got you covered, Bill. No, no, thank you. I appreciate it. But it's But then I I never remember the song names because I never I'm not looking at my phone when I'm like driving or listening to music. Chamber of Reflection. Chamber of Reflection. And I never would have got got that because it doesn't say anything like that. Okay, so start over. What's this called? Uh Mac DeMarco, do you know him? No. Okay. Uh he's like uh the last like indie rock guy out there but he writes and uh records all of his own music himself but uh this song is one of his most popular ones called chamber of reflection and it's got a uh, uh like a keyboard uh riff the whole time it's kind of slow and i really love it a lot just because it's so catchy um the lyrics are great it's spooky kind of sounding but i would love to hear i love all of mac demarco's stuff and actually like during 2020 for uh the uh, uh, pandemic, he wasn't recording anything except he recorded like a note for note cover of Enter the Sandman, <laughs> like dead, like exactly the same. And you're just like, what the hell? Because all of his other music is just so soft. And anyways, <laughs> it's just really strange. So, anyways, what do you think, Tony? Um, I listened to it. You did? Yeah. What did you think of it? I'm gonna let you go. I, I think it's boring. Oh, it's boring. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Okay. That's what I was gonna say well, too. Okay. Um, yeah, it didn't go anywhere. It's just, it's the same sounds. It's the same kind of pulse the entire time. Uh, his voice just kind of drones on, doesn't do anything. Um, what genre would that be? I, indie. I think it's, I think it's kind of indie pop. What, there was a name for it and I can't remember what it's called anymore, but it's not emo at all. He has recommended some pretty terrible emo songs though on this, on, on the segment. Anyways, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's like, I don't know what to call it exactly, what that style of music is, because it's like indie rock, but it's not rock. It's, it's like pop. It's like indie pop, I would call it. Yeah. What, what's it say? Yeah, it's indie rock. Indie rock. Slacker rock. That's what it is. Yeah, slacker, slacker rock. rock. Definitely sounds very slacker. Yeah, 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 yeah. Slacker rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I felt like a slacker listening. Yeah, <laughs> it was very... Uh, no, I mean, I agree. Did we get offended here? No, no not okay. at all. Not I don't. All. I didn't write the song. No, <laughs> I just really like Mac DeMarco a lot. I think it's amazing. Um, yeah, no, I I thought it was boring. Um, I mean, the production's cool. Uh, I just I don't like. There's songs by him that I like. Really? Right? Yeah. There's just not that one. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. What do you like about him? Uh, I love his lyrics. Uh, I love his singing. I love how every single one of his songs has like just a catchy riff on it, and he's not trying to like show off the entire like at any point in time. Uh, I think that might have been part of the problem. There's no showy, there's no there's showiness. No, he didn't show off there, anything. Yeah, there's <laughs> never. He didn't show me anything. Yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of like not melodramatic music. What's the word I'm looking for? Like almost like melancholy sounding, but it's not like sad. very melancholy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
but uh, it's not like you know emo music where it's like sad and everything like that. It's like I if think. the Beatles didn't take acid. You, he does give me a lot of big Beatles vibe for yeah. sure. But uh, yeah, exactly. And it's just writing, you know. Yeah, I mean, like the rainy day music. I guess I don't know what to call it. Slacker rock is what it's called. As far as I mean, I, I'm down to put it on the playlist because I didn't hate the song. Oh, you didn't hate it? I didn't hate it. I just didn't really like it that much. Okay. But like, it's not warranted. Like not going on a playlist. I was fast forward it. Can I, I heard it? You can I get a? It. Can I get a number count for the plays on Spotify when you get a chance? I was just curious I how many it's got because I was gonna care. tell you how much I just wanted to see. Is if there a you count of how many people too. fast forwarded it? <laughs> Yeah, right? Be, like, uh, is it like it's got five plays but four fast forwards? So Spotify <laughs> definitely tracks those numbers, actually. And they don't give them to you, uh, <laughs> which is bullshit. Yeah, that uh, YouTube gives you those numbers, though. Uh, oh, I was curious. How many plays? I can look it up on my phone. Well, no, they're doing it. We, oh, they're doing it? What do you think we pay them for? <laughs> we pay them? Uh, yeah. They had, mean, they had, like, stock in the company. Yeah. <laughs> hey, boys, we'll give you another couple points if you want, want to really get this going. Um, Make sure not to play it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so don't. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I, I didn't hate it. If didn't you said you'd it. fast forward it, though, yeah, yeah. I mean, I can. I, I probably would do the same thing. Two hundred and sixty-one million, two seventy-five for two hundred seventy-five million. See, that's what I'm saying. Anybody yeah. can do this. <laughs> I'm. I'm not even kidding you right now. Like that's insane. So I, I think he's wonderful. No offense. What's he's his name? Wade. Mac DeMarco. Mac DeMarco. <laughs> Say before before we started the show, I what? was like, I can't remember names or faces, and she was like, "So you don't give a fuck about anybody?" And I'm like, this, you're proving your own point. It's like, was it Wade? It's like not even close. Uh, I think he's awesome. So, what is it on or is it not? Yeah, it's on. It's it fun. is. Yeah, a thumbs up to the camera. Two hundred seventy-five million plays. That's also some. crazy. How anybody, anybody can make music and put it out now. Yeah, it's like. Yeah, it definitely clutters up the, uh, the the playing field a little bit, but I mean, I don't know. I th- like the production is not bad. Like he's a good producer, you know what I mean. So I can respect. Is it from there that anything angle. that he's done that I'd be familiar with? Um, he's got some some songs. Nothing like on the radio. on the radio or in commercials or TV or music, something like that. That's you know probably made the airways. I don't think so. No. But you you went to Full Sail, right? Mm-hmm. So do you do a lot of production stuff? That's a great question. <laughs> I'm ju- I'm gonna guess that's a no based off of your. I'm doing it now. You're doing it now. Yeah. Well, like with like 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 mixing and mastering and that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm not mastering anything, but I am recording myself and mixing, treating my vocals and sending them to producers for the uh, most part. Oh, nice. I just recently recorded one of my girlfriends in my house. It's the first time I've recorded someone else. So I went to full sale. I graduated full sale in 2000. and I went and I worked at Tree Sound Studios in Atlanta like immediately pretty high you know profile studio met a lot of famous people Whitney Houston Bobby Brown that's awesome Um, anyways then I ended up uh, having my daughter and then I was a teacher hard left turn for like a while and then went into nursing and so I did not utilize any of that or look at a Pro Tools rig for years. Yeah. And just recently did I get Pro Tools and like you, once you learn like signal flow, you know what it, I mean, it is, it's like 
it's like anything when you understand it, you can transfer the knowledge, right? So right. like Pro Tools back then looks different than it does now, but it I'm getting reacquainted with that. I've also been doing live sound and and you know, managing all of that for years. So that helps as well. But um no, I mean I just started getting back into production. What was it like recording your friend for the first time? Amazing. Like, like that's yeah. what I should be doing. Really? Yeah. And even in the songs that I've recorded over the years and released as singles, I've always been involved in production. Yeah. Not as an engineer, but it's from an idea perspective. Sure. Like 100%. Like I could lip out any any line that, you know, this is the bass line. This is the guitar. I need this to sound like that. I want this to sound like that. And I've worked with like really cool people that let me do that. And, you know, like it's definitely a collaboration um, on that. But I really enjoy recording uh, my friend. She's a female singer. And I think that there's so much talent, like especially like with females that is undiscovered right now because there's zero platform for them. There's zero support. And there's obviously this like, um, perception maybe of female leadership mm. that I think can be fixed if there was some sort of like artist development and resources available, right? Do you know where that's happening right now? Anywhere else? My living room. Right. It's nice. <laughs> good. Um, and my living room too. We're hanging out. Yeah, we're hanging out. We're yeah. promoting it. We're trying to get it started. No, I think just based on experience recording myself, I think to get a good take out of somebody requires a skill in and of itself. Yeah, totally. So um, I think that's really important. I think like communication, being in that seat takes more than just being like good technically. It's like how can you big somebody up? How can you make them feel confident? How right. can you get the best out of them? How can you like, you know what I mean? It's a total psychological game. Like, totally. And so if you can figure that out, I think that there's, you know, I think it's fun. I, I love like getting in the heads of people that way. I like inspiring people. So I think, I think that I might be doing more of that. That's awesome. I love that person that like that side of it as well. I think the recording and the production side is where you can really let your creativity just go wild, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, Billy hates it. I love it. It's the best part. What do me. I hate about it? Uh, just the performing nope. in the studio That's aspect I hate about of it. it. Nope. What do you recording. hate about it? I, I hate the everything's fine, this sounds amazing, it's great, and then the next day you're like, sounds like shit, we need to redo it. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I hate. Yeah. I, I like I like having a finished product and being like, great, it's done. Put a stamp on it, walk away, next. Okay, I think that with the way technology is right now, if you're playing the right notes, <laughs> it's a good enough take. <laughs> like if you're feeling it and it's like there, it's just after that, it's about refining it, you know, yeah. and having a really good mix engineer to pull it together. Um. And having multiple takes to work from, right? Yeah, totally. So, like, um, I don't know. And that's also a really creative part of it, too. Are you guys tracking live? No. We do the drums and bass together. Uh, and then we'll punch stuff in as necessary. And then we, we lay, lay down keys, synths, guitar, vocals. What do you play? Piano. Cool. Yeah. And backup vocals. And backup vocals. So, You're a great backup singer. Thanks, man. Yeah. The um, only one in our band now. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, yeah, I, I just really like, like I'm, uh, I don't like to push the buttons as far as the engineering side goes. Yeah. That stuff is so meticulous and I'm very, uh, I get very irritated when things don't work properly. Yeah. So I don't like to uh, do that so much, but if someone else is there pushing the buttons, yeah. I'm really good with like, hey, can let's make this effect happen here. Let's have this sound come up here. Let's, you know, drop the volume down here as it's panning towards this way and we can kind of lift it. Like I, I like uh-huh. putting things where they belong in the mix. So that to me is like the most fun part about being in the studio, you know. I just think that it makes you better. I mean, I feel like the more that's why I'm really excited about the next few months and like working with some higher level engineers and producers. I'm super, super excited about to learn a little bit more technique. Number one, like recording technique, the different types of microphones to get certain tones and sounds that we're looking for, but also just like when you're recording your voice like that and it's under a microscope. I've already started tracking these songs in my house just to listen to my voice and to just like hone in and dial in exactly what it is that I'm looking for. And you don't hear yourself like that until you record it and you're like, oh, I have a lisp. Oh, I have, you know what I mean? And then you start paying attention and then you can make corrections. That's what I love about recording is it's like, because I'm kind of OCD in some ways. And so (laughs) that just gives me something to focus and dial in on on myself. Totally. And work harder at, yeah. Totally. It's cool. I like all the meticulous uh, computer programming stuff. I love that. That's my favorite part about it, actually. Really? Yeah. I wish I knew how to do Logic or Pro Tools. Oh, no, no. I'm sorry. Pro Tools is what we usually work with, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Try, I wish yeah. I knew how to do all the... What would you call it? The, uh, the, the something flow? Signal flow. Signal flow. Is that like Signal the, flow. Yeah, that's not really... Okay, so yeah. I mean, the DAWs is Pro Tools. That's like the right. computer program, but signal flow is just important. It's really important in live sound when you're troubleshooting, if something's going wrong, if you understand the concept, oh. it's a basic concept of signal flow. You can figure out where the problem is really quickly when you've got a full stage full of equipment or whatever. In a studio, it's kind of the same as well when you're running through a DAWs and you have an interface and you've got you know stuff going on and things go wrong. If you understand signal flow, you can usually like trace back to where the problem is. In my mind, I was thinking that that meant like shortcuts and like little little things you can do on, on the keyboard. Yeah, no. workflow. A workflow. Workflow. Sorry, my bad. Yeah. yeah, signal flow. Yeah, I'd like to learn about that too. Um, I'm curious about how you got involved in the talent buying side of things as well. <laughs> That's a really interesting story. Really? Yeah. Let's hear it. I mean, not really interesting. It's just, it's, <laughs> that was a very misleading way to start sorry. the conversation. <laughs> um, you know, like I believe in this like concept of manifestation, and I don't mean to see, sound like hippy dippy or whatever. Not at all. Um, but I've just seen it happen too many times, like too like blatant in my face, you know. And that was one instance of that. So I, I took a hard left turn. I started teaching. And then I started, then I went to nursing school and I started nursing. I was working as an ER nurse, just really grinding it out. Um, I stopped playing music like with Peely Peely and I stopped uh, recording and just writing for probably four years there. I was just in the grind of what I was doing in my career and stuff. And um, the emergency room nursing is like really all consuming and kind of like a whole nother thing. But yeah. Served a purpose for sure. Um, 
I got to a point where I was like really, I felt like my soul was dying, <laughs> not to be dramatic, but um, I really needed to do something different. And I sat down with my journal and I wrote in there, I was like, I really need another outlet, a creative outlet. I need to be able to get back into doing something that's like feeding me because I just feel like depleted. I mean, when you're dealing with like trauma every day for 12 hours, it's like, you know. So I wrote that in my journal and I was like, this is what I need. I have identified what it is. I wrote it down. And then um, uh, I'm not going to name any names, but there was a guy who started with Prohibition Kitchen who um, I don't need to get into the details, but, you know, I don't have very many enemies or people that I don't like, but he's definitely one of them for reasons that I don't need to talk about. Mm -hmm. So I was really surprised when he called me up and said, hey, Rachel, do you want to pick up some sound shifts at this venue that just opened up? We need some help running sound. He knew I had gone to full sale. He knew I could do it, although I hadn't done, you know, in years. And I'm like, first of all, why is this person even calling me? Second of all, like, what? But okay, yeah. you know? So he's like, come out Saturday and I'll show you the ropes, whatever. And you can pick up some shifts. It's like, you know, whatever. It's something you could do on the side. I just need some help. And I was like, I kind of thought about it for a minute. And I'm like, this is a really snake in the grass kind of person. And I was like, what am I walking into here? Like, this is just weird, you know? Yeah. So I went and I showed up and he was in jail. And the manager was like, yeah, um, he's not here. He's in jail. Can you turn this stuff on? Because we don't know what we're doing here. And it was actually a CD release party that night. And the place was packed. And, like, I was like, okay. Wow. So I didn't even know where the microphone stands were. I just, like, dove in and figured it out and got the band rolling. And, um, like, one of the guys in the band, Jim, helped me out. And he who actually plays guitar with me now. But um, helped me out as far as, like, where things were and got me – rolling and stuff and from there I just took over the entire thing he came out of jail a year later and was not happy and Damn. that was okay wow so I've been doing that for them for like four and a half almost five years now Kinda that's awesome grew it moved the stage rebuilt the sound system put it it was an entirely different setup now but. how do you feel like it's helped you in your uh, musical endeavors or do you feel like it's helped you at all like the I talent mean, it, buying side of, in side every of, way yeah yeah like I said I wasn't even playing music so I started doing that I started at LLC started the business I'm subcontracted now from Prohibition Kitchen and I do all of their talent buying and manage the stage and the sound and sound engineers and um, from that it just it instantly catapulted me right back into the scene which can be hard thing to do you haven't been playing music to like wedge your way back in there. And this just like slingshotted me right back in the middle of it. I had access to the best musicians. I got to know really quickly who was good, who was reliable, who was on time, who was available, who was not available, who I wanted to work with. And um, from there, I've been able to like pick musicians who I do want to work with. And so I have another project that I perform and that is not reggae music at all. It's actually soul music. And um, I've been able to, like, select music musicians, like I said, from the scene based on just, like, firsthand experience with them right from the rip. Um, it was also a way to get out of the hospital at the time. I was, like I said, working for 12-hour shifts a week. And then because I started my own business and I started having another revenue, you know, stream of revenue, I was able to back up from the hospital, focus more on writing again. I, started, I got super inspired, started playing music got on the bill of reggae rise up that like all these things opportunities started opening up 
And I really think that it's because I decided it was something that I wanted. I wrote it down. And then I, as soon as the opportunities started presenting, I just started taking them, you know? And I think that it's like that with everything in life. Like really, if you want something, it's most about deciding what you want. Right. Because as soon as you decide what you want, then you start seeing all the opportunities that's, that were probably always there. You just didn't recognize them or take them because you didn't realize that's what you really wanted, you yeah, know? I think that's such, such a good uh, point about, like, just deciding what you want, and all of a sudden, it's just, like, it's all right in front of you. It is, yeah. yeah. It's wild. But I think it's hard for people to really decide what they want. People will say, oh, I want to I wanna be a touring artist. Oh, I want to do this. I want to do that. But do you? And of all those things you just said, what do you really want to do? You know what I mean? Right. It's hard for people to, like, know what they want. Yeah, because a lot of the stuff sounds really good, and it sounds good to say. It's like, well, that's what I want to do. And then I think that if you can't, like, it's never going to happen if you don't truly commit to making it happen. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, 100%. So, yeah, um, I think that it's helped a lot. Um, so I'm curious about the, you have like a few different dynamics at, at, uh, PK where you sometimes do like ticketed events mm -hmm. and then you also have like the regular cover bands coming and play. Mm -hmm. How do you manage those two worlds? Cause obviously like, when you're a ticketed venue, people know that you're a ticketed venue and then they show up for those shows. But if you guys aren't always operating like that, do you ever notice like a good, it's really thing? difficult actually, because yeah. it is not a ticketed venue. Mm -hmm. It's a restaurant bar really with a dope stage and sound system right we have live music seven days a week and it's usually dinner music there's dinner going on the demographic is families um that are tourists basically and then you've got friday saturday late night which is a little bit more of a local um crowd but also your majority is tourists right it's not a local spot like Stogie's or like, you know, some other places, number one. Um, then when we th – and that works. We're constantly at capacity. They're, they're killing it, you know. Yeah. We have great entertainment all the time. It's The sound is consistent because we have a sound system. We're not relying on the bands to bring in sound systems, which can be all over the place. Yeah, totally. You know what I mean? Like the sound quality is consistent. I have an engineer, which is unheard of really for bar gigs. Yeah. So – it keeps the place packed, you know, and that's evident when one night, you know, if somebody gets sick or doesn't show up or whatever, it's evident yeah. that that's happening. So that's awesome. But then when you throw in a ticketed show, it's like, okay, whoa, now we have to sell tickets. You can't sell tickets to a family that's only here for a week, three months out, you know what I mean, when you're putting a guarantee on a show like that. So it is completely different, which is why I don't do it often. The shows that I've done, you know, have been like once quarterly is what I was really doing before 2021, and I'm just now getting back into doing them. And um, those shows that I selected were shows that I knew would be sellout shows, really confident in what I was doing just based on like the market statistics and stuff, data from before. There's a couple tools that you can use to figure that out. Right. Um, and so I just didn't select anything that I didn't knew, know was going to sell out, basically. I was surprised. When I, I think you had Mishka there, right? Twice. Twice. I was surprised that, that he did well in, uh, in St. Augustine. 
sold out both times. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, it wasn't a band. It was him and his guitar player. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, not really. I mean, he's a pretty big artist, but whenever those sh- – I have had the Steel Drivers there twice, sold yeah. out both times. Um, we've had Squirrel Nut Zipper sold out. Um who else have we had through Coolio after Modest, 90 spot? Modest Yahoo also. Modest Yahoo twice sold out. Um, and then there were some smaller ones. Like I've had um, Zach Deputy, um, Easy Star All-Stars have played there. Uh, and the thing is, is like the one of the biggest challenges is that PK is packed no matter what. Right. Yeah. And the size of the venue isn't a great number. It's 400 capacities. So when you have a venue that's packed all the time on a Saturday night and we're going to make bar sales, you know, after you pay a band and you only have 400 capacity, it's like you're not there's not really a lot of room there for profit. Right. Very little, actually. But we're not losing money on it as long as I sell it out. Right. Right. So it's really just like a good look for the venue and something cool for the town and the owners of prohibition kitchen are awesome and they support music so it's like something that they're willing to let me take a gamble on periodically that's awesome what i really like to do is find be able to root these bands on like a thursday because then you know we don't have late night music on a thursday if we go over and we're doing bar sales over now we're just like profiting right you know so that's really what I try and do. But that's hard to tell Matis Yahoo, yeah, you can come play, but only on a Thursday. <laughs> right, right. So that's also why they're not frequent. You know, it has to be a banger. It has to be somebody that's going to sell out. You, you have a hard time finding, like, bigger national touring acts to play on a Friday or Saturday in St. Augustine? Most of the time, acts prefer to play on the weekends, in my experience. No, totally. I'm just curious because, like, they – there's times where like they'll because St. Augustine and Jacksonville, like they're not like a markets, you know. So mm-hmm. I'm curious about that. I know that, that there's been times at other venues that they, they've had a hard time finding like the bigger bands that they want on a Friday or Saturday. Like the bands will give them a Tuesday or a Wednesday because they want to save a Friday or Saturday for like a bigger market. I haven't noticed that. I would actually prefer that. Really? Because we're not busy on those yeah, nights, you know, uh, so we're not cutting into our normal packed house right. business to have a ticketed show. Um, I don't really think that that's the case because I don't really seek out bands for that, for ticketed shows. It's When I book a ticketed show, it's more like they're rooting through and they hit me up um, because we're registered through Polestar and we've got like a pretty big social media presence. People know who we are now. Right. So they're actually looking to book at the spot and then I'm like, will this work or not? Yes or no, you know? Um, number one, or it's a mutual contact kind of like networking thing that just ends up working out. So I've never been like, oh, this band, and I have no connection to them, and I'm like, I'm going to book this band at PK. It's not like, it's not really like that. Gotcha. That's awesome, though. Well, I guess it's not awesome for your schedule, but that they are actually like doing like, I don't know, Friday, Saturday night. That's like their main night of the week if they're on tour and everything with the taking Prohibition Kitchen and... Yeah. But obviously, yeah, you'd probably make a little bit more profit on a Thursday yeah. or something like that. Yeah. But. yeah. But, but yeah, they give me, they basically give me a little bit of leeway to make those decisions. I mean, it's like. I mean, that's awesome because it's great for the scene overall to mm-hmm. have bands like that coming through, you know. Mm-hmm. Exactly. What, uh, what you mentioned that you book for some other venues as well internationally. And 
Yeah, um, I book some um, gigs over in the Bahamas. So in the past, Abaco, I actually just sent an, a local duo to um, Bimini. They're leaving tomorrow, actually. Um, and those are just like high-end resort gigs that um, need entertainment. And most of those private islands don't have a local scene at all. Right. So all the entertainment is coming from here. Wow. So I've been able to like finagle my way into that niche really. Um, long story there. It'd be a whole nother, nother podcast. Sounds like a good gig though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just like uh, connections that you've made from like the, like the, the reggae scene or just. Um, no, I just have, I, I don't know. Life is so crazy. Basically, I had a best friend move to the Bahamas and marry a Bahamian guy, and I started going over there playing music, and I did a a couple tours over there, actually with the drummer of Easy Star All-Stars. He came over there with me. We did a couple runs. We wrote a song together. We created a music video, like super low, but no budget video, put it out, and then it kind of circulated through the islands real quick because it's small, you know? And then we started playing down there, and then they had a major like catastrophic hurricane Dorian come through Mm -hmm. and I'm also a nurse. So after that, I went from like musician to disaster relief mode and went down there and did a lot of work as a nurse. And then that just spending the time over there and making the connections and getting to know people and on both levels, you know, musically first and then as a nurse second and as they were rebuilding and all that kind of stuff. So just making the connections, honestly, just being there. And down the road, it's like, oh, you book. Let's go. Yeah, it's so wild yeah. how this shit works out sometimes. You just, like, never know what opportunities can arise from any situation. Just always got to be nice and say willing to say yes to everything, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, but Sounds also like just, like, looking for the opportunity, like, be- noticing it when you see it, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, being aware, I suppose. Or just want- knowing what you want to do. And yeah, I know I, that I want to play in the Bahamas. So when I'm in the Bahamas, I'm like, hey, I want to play here. Can I play here? Yes. Okay, cool. I'll see you next month. I'll figure it out. You know what I mean? You just yeah. have to know what you want to do. I've been pensive sitting here thinking about <laughs> what you just said about uh, uh, figuring out what you want to do. Like the whole time I was like, yeah, I'm going to figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I am. I was like, damn. You got to Like, that's awesome, man. I think. I think that that's the coolest thing is like just to like inspire people anyways. Like, it, sure. you know, like. I think a lot of that came from teaching. Probably. Yeah. I was going to say, cause I, I was going for teaching too. That's actually too. a good point. Well, I was going for teaching in college or, and, uh, and I did a lot of piano teaching for not a lot for like a couple of years or whatever, but uh, that like, I've got that positive attitude when it comes down to uh, recording in the studio, like trying trying to get your best take and stuff out. Yeah, that's just that's just teaching. Like, yeah. you, you just do that to You're your right. students You're the right. whole time. You're right. I never really made that connection, but that's true. Because like, it's, I taught at a school here, the Foundation Academy. Mm. So it's a private school, but it's an alternative school, and it's like scholarship grant based. It's kids, you know, coming from Moncrief, Maddie B, whatever. It's like last chance school, bad kids stabbing each other yeah it's like not come learn how to read bro yeah (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah like giving them the confidence like that's always like why people fail is because they're afraid it's like fear of failure is equals failure so like you just have to like give people confidence and then they learn so yeah i think that probably did come from that because that's a trick that you not a trick but like tool that Mm -hmm. you used to get kids to like 
bring out the best in themselves is like you have to inspire them with something. You have to be like, okay, what interests you? Figure it out. What do you want to do? That's exactly where it came from. Just, I don't know. My mom was a teacher too. And everything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, cool. yeah I'm, I'm really bad with that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, you, you don't know things called, uh, what, was, what is it called? Not in a compliment sandwich. It's called something like that. A what? I can't think of what it's called. But it's like uh, you say a compliment and then you put in uh, something that you didn't like about what they're doing and then you finish it with a compliment. It's a compliment sandwich, but the compliments aren't are the buns, you know. The sandwich, the criticism sandwich. Yeah, criticism sandwich, <laughs> I guess. But that makes it sound bad too. Oh my god! But that's how that's how you talk to people uh, that you want to get them to do things. Yeah, I would say. Yeah, you have, and also a nurse, so you have bedside manner. I imagine yeah. you put all that together. Yeah, you're hell of a uh, producer. Yeah, man. <laughs> really, at least the. Well, maybe that's why I took a left-handed turn from full sales because I just needed some of those skills. Yeah. Well, but you have none of that. Yeah. Yeah, no compassion. Damn. It's not that it's not compassionate. It's just the way that I came up was very hard with uh, other musicians. Mm -hmm. So it was very much like, hey, uh, you suck. Stop doing that. And it was like, <laughs> do that. And then it was like, okay, and that's what – made me want to get better was mm -hmm. I don't want to hear you tell me that I suck anymore please stop <laughs> so it's <laughs> like when I'm in the studio I'm like hey that was a terrible take do that again <laughs> and I just think that you know I mean <laughs> that's exactly what it's like you're like why don't you like the studio man I'm like I don't know because I feel like I'm in fucking concentration camp when I'm in there so <laughs> if I yeah. can't concentrate <laughs> It depends also who I'm talking to with you. I can be a lot more uh, free with how I speak. But if I'm talking to like, like Aaron or somebody. You'll catch hands. Well, no, not that. <laughs> it's just that it's just that there's a, like, I know that's going to, like, for some people that'll break their psyche, right? Yeah, so you yeah. don't want to do that. With you, yeah. I know it's a lot easier. Like, you and I don't get offended with each other. Mm -hmm. So I, we can say literally whatever we want. I'm glad you and feel that just, way, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's better housewife over here. Just kidding. <laughs> just, Bro, kidding. I, just kidding. He loves me. He just shows in a funny way. I would never say that loud, that's for sure. <laughs> um, anyways, um, yeah, I, I was also, you said that you have a bill... Bill Johnson art? Is that what it is? Mm -hmm. So what do you do for, with, with that company? Um, that's the most recent business that I started. And again, uh, when I was in the Bahamas nursing, I came across a 90-year-old man that had his roof laying on top of him <sighs> on an island by himself. And because it's spread out a little, like archipelago of islands, basically. And Got him back to health and then realized that he was an artist and his house was full of artwork. And he's a pretty well-known artist and author in the Bahamas. And um, so we, like, basically recovered all of his artwork. And long story short, over two years of, like, taking care of him, getting him a solar panel, getting him back up and running. I mean, he lived without running water or electricity before the storm. So after, it was just, like, getting him like back to health, getting his place in living condition and um, basic needs met. And then he gave me his full body of artwork and he's in his 90s. So I am going to turn that into a very lucrative business. That's awesome. Bill Johnson of the Bahamas. I'm sorry, the guy Harvey of the Bahamas is the idea there. The guy Harvey of the Bahamas. Mm -hmm. 
So do you do you want to like start like a like a hotel and like the whole thing or no just... merchandise and just like right right now what I'm doing is archiving all of his work. So he does he's surveyed all the islands down there. He's a naturalist, so he's sailed all over the Bahamas, and he's illustrated um, like traditional Bahamian sailcraft, and so that's like handmade boats in the Bahamas that don't exist anymore because they're not being made and storm destroyed the ones that were left. So a lot of his work is like illustrations of those boats and depicts like culture, fish, fl- fish and um, flora, plants, fauna, fauna yeah. flora and fauna. It's just like naturalist illustrations, watercolors, maps, detailed maps of each island, um, the full Bahamas map island. So right now there's a bit, he's pretty nice niche market of second homeowners in the Bahamas that buy this artwork and have bought his artwork for years. So we continue to sell and like inventory, you know, basically like supply inventory for resorts, gift shops, different places in the Bahamas. Um, But we want to take his images that he has now since he's not painting anymore and digitize them and merchandise them and kind of bring that up to the next level. That's awesome. Sounds cool. What uh, inspired you to want to take that on? He gave it to me. He just gave it to you. So you it's like you. a full body of artwork. Yeah. yeah. Which is, I never knew anything about art, like visual art. And um, it's actually pretty um, interesting because you don't ever see anything, you know, with artwork on it that wasn't bought. So when you go buy a shower curtain and it's got fish on it, somebody drew those fish right. and it was bought by a Chinese company for multi-million dollar royalty. Right. So that's what you want to do? With parts of it. You want to sell it off to Chinese companies? Maybe. But the (laughs) the part that's more niche to the Bahamas, I definitely want to keep as a brand. Right. I want to brand it and market it to the Bahamas, like the Guy Harvey of the Bahamas, because the artwork is very Bahamian culture, very like... um, it's like views from certain islands that if you've been there, you know it. You know what I mean? Right. Like it, or it's like certain fish that fishermen go there just to get the bonefish and the hogfish, like sports fishermen, you know, and it's very like niche, some of the maps and stuff. But then he's also got stuff that's a little bit more that could be commercial that you could see on a you know, shower curtain or something like that. That could be a collection for commercial, and then you have like a collection for niche market, you know. Merchandise marketing. Oh, that's awesome. Again, it just takes understanding the business and then taking something and being really smart and making money with it. For sure. Yeah. It's the same thing. Yeah, definitely. That's uh, wild, all the things that you're, that you're taking on right now. It's, I mean, it really is an inspiration to like think about all those things and, and yeah. like taking yeah, on. A lot of projects. But, yeah, for sure. And uh, I wish you the best in all of it, for sure. Thanks. Yeah. Um, unpopular opinions? Yeah, sure. Um, you want to go first this time? I had to. Yeah, uh, my unpopular opinion is based off of some things that I've seen on TV. I don't want to give anything away in case anybody's watching this, but it's that uh, the deep fakes I think need to be outlawed immediately. Uh, I think they're too real, and I think that people are going to get in trouble, and there's no way to tell whether or not it's actually that person anymore. Uh, and I, yeah, I just I think a lot of people will be like, no, it's awesome. I'm like, yeah. What if somebody puts you on a face and then, or on somebody else's body, your face on somebody else's body, and then like commits crimes and then like you're in prison? 
Right. That's not good, right? Yeah, that's definitely a real fear. For my sure. my thing is, uh, there's no there's no positives that outweigh the negatives, and so. Right. Yeah. It just looks cool. Like, oh, this is really cool, and then also like you can just get framed for murder. Right. So, I'm out on deep fakes. I mean, I don't, I don't disagree. Right, so I, I maybe mean, it's not unpopular. I don't disagree. I mean, I don't know what the full scope of the technology is. I don't know what they're trying to use it for. Basically, they're other like, than just movies. Yeah, that's what they're doing. Like they did it in uh, not The Departed, the other The Irishman, the Martin Scorsese thing, where it basically like de aging your face. Right, right, stuff. right, right. And they did it with uh, Russell Crowe and like the Guardians of the Galaxy and all this stuff. And, it, and that that makes them you can use like old people. Or, I'm sorry, old actors relive their younger selves, uh, and that part is cool. But the <laughs> like that everything else that you could do with it, it's awful. I don't evil. think that. I agree with you. I think that's awful, but like I don't think that there's a solution. The because, solution is, is the, they destroy it. <laughs> yeah, but that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, that's like, that gets into the whole world of censorship. It's a creation that somebody made, so how are you yeah, going to yeah, tell yeah. them they can't use it, number one? Number two, get ready, bro. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's just the... <laughs> oh, there's no way. There's Yeah, it's already That's just like motion. the tip of the ice. I mean... So I was watching. I was watching a. Uh, That's a tease of what they're about to do. Exactly. Yeah. And so I was watching this. Um, you could uh, be having sex with a girl next week, and like it's not. It, it's not even a real person. Yeah, like it's augmented like a reality shit. Yeah. That took over all your senses. Talk about deep fake. That's too deep. That's so <laughs> deep, man. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> Well, He's blue Billy's she, mind. She was going to do a, a deep fake. I'm trying to inspire him. Yeah. So. <laughs> I, I just think, yeah, there, that was the other thing. There were, I watched this like news uh, special on it, and they were talking about how uh, it was like they were interviewing the NSA, and the NSA was like, yeah, we're watching as close as we can. It's like, uh, can you, what, what, what can you do? You obviously got the top people on it that can tell the difference between a deep fake and the real thing. And they're like, nope. We have no technology to, to differentiate whether it's a deep fake or not. There will be technology to come. It's just a new technology right now. Sure, there, there sure, sure. There will be something that comes along, I'm sure. And <clears throat> But until then, it's like Wild West right now. Yeah. I wonder how much of it is actually being able to be used in uh, real-life situations. I, I don't, like, I'm not trying to say it in conspiracy theories at all, but it does seem like the technology comes out a little bit later than when it actually is coming out. That's how it always works. Yo, I so. thought that they were doing that kind of stuff in videos. I've actually had that thought before. Yeah, like it is fake. I thought I thought that videos were being faked like 10 years ago. I don't know. I thought that I Osama just assumed Laden, that that, that technology fake. had already existed, I think. Like when I would think about somebody making a music video – and the tools that they'd be able to use, I thought that that would be, like, one of them. Like, you could do anything. Just like you can manipulate photo, I thought you could manip manipulate video. Yeah, it's just it's gotten so sophisticated now where it's almost indistinguishable between you and, and like, the fake thing. So it's, like, 10 years ago, it might have been, like, pretty obvious. Like, this is clearly not the person. I mean, it doesn't look terrible, but it's clearly not them. Whereas now it's, like, you watch a deep fake and you're, like, I legit can't tell if this is a real person or not. Yeah, I, I watched something, and I'm not going to give away what it was, but because uh, I don't want to give any spoilers away. But I watched it, and I was like, you literally can't tell the difference. And you're like, this is – I watched it, and I was like, this is amazing. And then I instantly went, oh, no, this is bad now. Yeah. And it's going to – that's the other thing, too, is like what we're just talking about right now about like the conspiracies, the conspiracies and stuff. 
I think the conspiracies and stuff uh, uh, alone are bad. Yeah. From it. Like, now everything is like, is that real? I can't, I don't know if I can trust it. That's probably fake news. That's probably a deep fake. Right. It's already, yeah. It's, it's already happening. It's fucked. Yeah. Whoever invented that is an asshole. Well, I mean, people will always keep pushing the boundaries for sure, and then we'll figure out a way to offset or mitigate some of the risk that comes from it, you know? We'll see what happens. I mean, I think that's part of, like, what you guys are doing with podcasts is because, like, historically people get their information from news sources, right? And now you can actually, like, watch podcasts and hear people discuss their opinions about things, not saying that that's where you should get news, but actually I'm not not saying that either because it's not like there's a reputable place to get your information from. And it actually seems like a little bit more, it makes better sense to like have like average people hashing shit out with their opinions than it does from it coming from any sort of corporate source right now. Sure, yeah, 100%. Um, at least political pieces, not political pieces, opinion pieces. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean it just it helps. To I've, got, have, I've got nothing to gain for saying my opinion. Yeah, I mean it just it helps to have like the ideas fleshed out over the course of a long conversation rather than just here's your two minutes to talk on air. Right, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, for sure. Uh, um, I definitely wouldn't listen to this podcast to try and get any kind of news maybe some stuff about please do not industry, get music but... industry information from us yeah because i think the beginning of our conversation is all just total shit guess. talk yeah <laughs> just trying to figure it, it sounded out. like a check it's now. speculation but, uh but um <laughs> all right so my unpopular opinion is fernet is not good i i, For the I agree box? with you i agree the what leonard fernet the alcohol the alcohol what are, you, who, what are you talking about? It's a drink. I heard of that. It's real bad. Fernet? Fernet. What kind does it taste like? Uh, like if Jaeger cologne. had a shit ton of spices on there. Or cologne, yeah. Fernet. Is there a special... <laughs> is that the name of the, like, the yeah. liquor? Or is that like the... There's like a couple different things, like a couple different versions of it. Fernet. Yeah. Like that right there. Blanc or whatever. Oh. It's Italian. They drink it. Like, like it's like a dessert drink or whatever. I don't understand how it's a dessert drink. It is so bitter and gross. That's what they were drinking like the whole time at Casablanca. Blanca, sorry. I kept on doing that the whole night. Blanca. Ah, yeah, I know. I know. When I moved down to Florida from Kentucky, I got made fun of so hard at a Mexican restaurant for my friends because I wanted a chimichanga. <laughs> yeah, I know. Sorry. Um, Not culture. There's, we, got, we got hard A's. <laughs> hard A's. And so, yeah, Casa, Casablanca. Sorry. But that's what they were drinking the whole time in Casablanca. Those little, those little guys. What? <laughs> Why are you laughing? Did I say it wrong again? Better than, Better hard, than hard R's. R's yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I, it's a hard A. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So, anyways, about Fernet. <laughs> that's what they were drinking like the whole time in that yeah. movie with Humphrey Bogart. Yeah. Well, you, you've never had it before. <laughs> no, I've never had it. You've had it before, yeah. We get yeah. some later. What's up? No. Oh, apparently not. Yeah, he said you don't like it. All right. Um, so <laughs> I first tried it when I was down south, and my friend, who he's like Argentinian or whatever, and he was like, oh, this is what we drink after desserts and, or, and whatever. And so I tried it, and I thought it was gross back then. And my friend Matt started drinking it like all the time because he thought he was trying to be cultured. And it was also terrible. And so one time when I was in California a few years ago, uh, I got like – I was out with my, my siblings. We hadn't seen each other in a long time. And so I got very, very drunk. And they went to a karaoke bar. And 
I don't know what was going through my head. I was like, fuck this place. This is the reason why I'm not getting work. Is this one karaoke bar in San Francisco? <laughs> so I was like, fuck this. I, it makes no sense. I was drunk. Yeah. So I walked to the place next door and the bartender was like, uh, I need to see your ID. I ordered a drink. And then uh, she saw the, the Jacksonville uh, address and she was like, oh, well, I'm from Tampa. And I was like, go four hours away from me. That's real close. Again, just I didn't even say that. I was just like thinking to myself because I was being drunk and stupid. She was like, "You want a shot of Fernet since we're both from Florida?" And I was like, "It's a Florida drink." No, it's not. I don't know why she said it, but it was very for some reason that drink was very relevant in my life at that time. And I don't know why she brought it up, but she gave me a shot of Fernet, and that was the end of my night. Like my brother found me like in the bathroom, like just not in a good space, and. Uh, ever since then, I haven't had a shot of it or anything. It's disgusting. Did you get real drunk off it or something? No, I was, I was, we had been drinking since like noon and it was like nine o'clock at night. Oh. We were drinking like heavy. <laughs> I think it is really strong though. Yeah. It's gross. But do you think it was because you were drinking all night and then you had that Fernet and that's why you don't like Fernet? But I don't like Fernet even before that. I didn't like it. I don't know why oh. I accepted the shot. Probably because it was free and I was like, yeah, you know about Fernet? Okay, let's drink it. And then that was it. <laughs> I literally thought you were Sam Leonard for that. I don't know who that is. He was our number one draft pick in 2018 for the Jags. It's a baseball team. Okay. <laughs> uh, what's your unpopular opinion? My unpopular opinion? Mm-hmm. Hmm. I guess I should have thought about this before I came here. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. If you don't have one, it's all good. Todd didn't have one earlier either. <laughs> He's like, my unpopular opinion is just I'm non-confrontational, man. Yes, yeah. <laughs> that's fucking hilarious. Dang. I know you got one. I'm sure I have a lot. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> it is hard when you got to be put on the spot about it. I don't like indie music. You don't like indie music? Indie music? Right. I can uh, see some of that. There's some of it that I like, but... Mac DeMarco maybe is like not <laughs> I a great example. I don't like that. I, can I retract? I don't like Mac DeMarco. You don't like Mac DeMarco. And like 9 million people do. So I would say that that's number No, that was, I think it was like 275. <laughs> well, that's how many plays it had, but yeah. Those are all individual plays. Though, yeah. Right? <laughs> From around the world. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Um, I feel you. I'm not a big fan either. I, 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 don't, I don't see the hype. It's not that it's bad. It's just like, is it worth having several songs or a lot of songs or almost 300 million plays, it's a little excessive for what he's putting out. I, I think it's amazing. And yeah, it's definitely unpopular. Indie, indie well, because now you just said Mac DeMarco now. So the, yeah. the indie, that indie genre, like it's so many different bands and styles and stuff. Yeah, so. and I actually retract because yeah, I yeah, don't yeah. know if I'm really familiar with the genre really too much. Isn't Mazzy Star considered indie? Mazzy Star. I don't know who that is. Sorry. What? I've heard the name. I don't know any, any of the songs. But okay, I like. well, I love her. So, I mean. Maybe. Maybe I just didn't define the genre very well. but Indie rock was like back in like the late 90s. She's late 90s. Yeah. Like Fiona Apple, that kind of era. Okay, the so pavement. then I do like it. Yeah. Fiona Apple's amazing. Yeah, she's great. Fiona Whatever Apple, happened, Mazzy Star. Mazzy Star, alternative indie. I like indie. I'm sorry. Hope Sandoval. Oh, you guys are about to get <laughs> talk about inspired. <laughs> well, anyways, yeah. all right. Well, yeah, I think it's pretty unpopular. Yeah, so I really like it. Well, Whatever. what are you gonna do? 
Uh, Sailor Jane, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, this is a lot of fun. Uh, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Make sure you check out the GoFundMe. Where do they find the GoFundMe whoop, at? Whoop. Facebook. Facebook. GoFundMe. Uh, support the new endeavor that we can't know anything about just yet, other than it's a tribute album. And uh, hopefully we'll circle back <laughs> in three months yeah. and we'll discuss it some more. So thank you guys for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Adios, muchachos.